Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian and the CLA. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian editor and agri-briefing group editor, Ben Briggs. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. So subscribe through all your favourite podcast platforms, whether that's Spotify, Google, Apple, Stitcher or Raycast, to ensure that you stay up to date. This week, as we approach Christmas and New Year, and My Christmas Jumper gets its annual airing, we take a look back at 2020. In this unprecedented year, there have been both winners and losers across the agriculture and food industries. Shoppers seem to have found a new passion for local produce, with businesses such as independent butchers and milkmen all benefiting. However, for others, the closure of the hospitality industry has hit them hard. Alex Black caught up with three food businesses to find out how 2020 had affected them. The Country Land and Business Association is the only organisation solely dedicated to the protection of land and property rights and promoting the interests of the wider rural economy. We help our members work in the best interests of the land, wildlife and the environment. Join today at www.cla.org.uk I'm Daniel Metheringham. I'm the Director of Agriculture at McCain Foods. I've been in the uh, potato industry for over 20 years and at McCain I'm responsible for uh, seed supply right through the uh, farmers, 200 farmers across the UK purchasing around 15% of the annual potato crop. And 2020's kind of had a double whammy for the potato industry in terms of uh, the climate and COVID. Do you want to take us through where you were in March when COVID hit and how that impacted McCain's business? Yeah, absolutely. So back in uh, uh, sort of early part of uh, 2020, we, we'd actually just come back off the back of a, a crop crisis in 2019 that was was impacted by heavy heavy rainfall, which meant that actually, although usually a lot of potato growers had finished harvesting by November the 5th, we use as a date, a lot of potatoes were actually still left in the ground. So we were still harvesting potatoes in the uh, the new year of 2020. And we'd actually just got into a, a reasonably good balanced position on potatoes. We'd had to, to purchase quite hard, but we'd got into a balanced position. And then COVID struck and overnight our sales were impacted by about 50%. So we're very fortunate that we have a retail business and we also have the out of home and a quick service restaurant business. But about 50% of our, our sales were, were impacted overnight. We gained some sales within the retail sector, but nowhere near to offset the, the, the loss in, in hospitality. As we worked this through, in some ways it was quite fortunate timing because we hadn't actually planted the potatoes uh, for the following crop. So we were able to actually reach out to our, our farmers and talk to them about how we could reduce plantings. Uh, and we worked in partnership with our, our sort of 200 farmers to basically minimise the impact so we could control the next year's crop going into, into the ground. On top of that, we still had a surplus of potatoes that we had to deal with So from the 2019 crop. So we did basically three things. One, we uh, 
overproduced against where our, our sales were so meaning we were going to carry more frozen inventory than what we usually would so that that used uh, a lot of the potatoes second we we sold some into the fresh trade so we put them into the retail market under fresh and varieties like piper which are, are pretty much dual use we were able to do that and the third thing we did we actually partnered with one of our jacket suppliers in york and actually packed into pre-packed bags and partnered with fair share and donated some to to charity and that sort of managed sort of the immediate term but also the the longer term as we we move forward into uh, the next growing season in sort of uh, April, May um, of, of 2020. The climate's obviously a big challenge for potato growers at the moment and has been for the past few years, uh, certainly last season, like you mentioned. How are you working with your growers to tackle the challenges that they face from the climate and how is it impacting McCain's business as well? Yeah, so um, climate has uh, definitely been challenging. And if you look back over the last 10 years, we've had uh, at least four really significant weather events. And I think what's interesting is the uh, extremes of those events it's not just one piece whether that's the the beast from the east or the the summer droughts or the wet autumns that are, are impacting harvest we we don't seem to have one problem that we have to to deal with so um and and again uh, this has been building over a number of years this isn't just about 2020 but i think as it all came together 2020 has been been fairly vital with it all so we've actually um, we released something called our, our Farmers Pledge, which was a £25 million fund um, to try and combat some of these issues and offer a bit of certainty to farmers. So it's basically built upon three areas. One is our ind- indexation model, independent indexation model, which feeds into our potato contracts. This has been running for 12, 13 years now. Um, and has built a lot of trust within the supply base but what we've done is really underpin that to make sure that it's uh, you know sustainable for the the future the second area is very much around security for the future and multi-year contracts so we're now offering three and five year deals on on multi-year contracts and what that also has done is enabled us to assist farmers with cash flow due to the impacts of some of the weather extremes over the, the the last couple of years um, the third thing that we we did was uh, enable a, a grant funding system um, and this last year we very much focused towards uh, harvest capacity and irrigation and those two areas we felt certainly with the climate challenges we'd been having needed uh, addressing and it was a, a real call out from the farmers to to try and basically um, enable uh, funds for capital investment in, into those areas. And, and that's probably been one of our biggest successes, actually, is seeing uh, investment going into potatoes, into potato harvesting equipment, whether that be self-propelled or uh, enabling growers to get the crop out the ground in a, in a timely manner. Uh, and certainly, again, this year has proved, again, absolutely critical where we've had farmers that, you know, They'd used the grant funding to invest in that sort of equipment. And then um, this year, they've been able to get harvest completed by the end of October rather than running into November and potentially even December. 
and you've spoken a lot there about the relationship between yourselves and your farmers. Why is that so important to McCain and how has that helped you weather the storms this year, if you'll pardon the pun? We've got relationships stretching back three generations, 50 plus years. And let's be very honest about it. Without potatoes, we don't really have a business. Um, so, it, you know, our, our, our relationship with farmers, we have direct relationship with farmers and uh, they are absolutely key to our success. So I, I do see it and um, it, it, it is a partnership. It really is a partnership and um, one of the biggest things I think with all of these uh, schemes, whether it be the, the, the multi-year deal, whether it be the grant funding or our indexation model, you know, we've sat down with our, our, our growers and asked them where the challenges are. And once we've asked where the challenges are, we've been able to speak openly about how we address some of these challenges and where we've got both, you know, very much shared interests. And certainly, you know, as we've built up the Farmers' Pledge, that, that's been a critical part to ensuring that we, you know, make a difference and it's not just tokenism that we're, we're offering. And I think as we, we start to look forward and, you know, we look at the sustainability agenda, you know, again, by literally speaking to our farmers and trying to get that balance of food production and um, environmental impacts, we're, we're able to develop schemes such as the Sustainable MacFry Fund, which is a partnership with McDonald's, where we're very much focused on soils and water and how we utilise technology to optimise water usage and also how we uh, invest in our soils and look at soils research to make a difference there. So again, it, you know, it's coming organically from the, uh, from the farmers and that relationship is, is absolutely key to our success. We're coming to the end of the year now and hopefully there's a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel with the, the latest news on uh, the availability of vaccines. Looking forward to 2021, what challenges and opportunities do you see ahead for McCain? There's a lot of challenge and uncertainty left to uh, to, to go through. So I think as we, as we look forward, um, I think understanding where demand will be, um, it will be absolutely critical. And we're, we're in a very fortunate position that we can uh, look across a number of sectors, whether that be retail, in-home eating or out of home or quick service restaurants. So we have got a spread um, across those different sectors um, so that that will give us some uh, flexibility and opportunity but you know there's an awful lot to play out with covid and understanding how, when the restrictions will be lifted and what consumer behavior uh, will, will be like there obviously there's uh, the dreaded b word uh, that is looming that again we're still looking to to get some certainty on um but we're we're very well positioned um you know supporting british agriculture uh, having a seed supply from scotland um you know we've got a good integrated supply chain there um but there's also challenges around storage um with with C, the loss of cipc uh, for potato storage and uh, how we manage manage that but in a way, I'm actually looking very positively uh, on all of this. We've we've done a lot of research and uh, investment into the potato storage. 
our shift with the farmers pledge this year is going to be very much around storage and irrigation and optimizing water again and again as we look forward to um, a, a new world within subsidies and the ag bill um, and a, a real focus on sustainability the work that we're doing with the sustainable macfry fund will hopefully find those sort of joint areas where we can invest and make a difference on farm and and get that harmony and balance right between you know food production and uh, environmental impact to soils and land management you're still plowing on and so are we get farmers guardian delivered directly to your door every week and access the latest news from the world of agriculture 24 7 through fginsight.com simply subscribe to farmers guardian Check out our latest deals at fginsight.com forward slash subscriptions today. Twenty twenty has been a tough year for many businesses, with the hospitality industry grinding to a halt in March. Gary Bradshaw found the market for his artisan cheese business disappeared overnight. So, Gary, do you want to tell me a little bit about the history of the business? Yes. Well, I um I started making cheese at home as a hobby about. 12, 13 years ago, um, and sort of it just sort of escalated from there. Um, Northampton Cheese never had a cheese before, so um, I was getting approached by a lot of people asking me to buy, asking to buy the cheese from me. So um, I've just um, just been made redundant from my job um, and decided that that's what I was going to do. So I went on a cheese making course, bought a load of cheese making equipment, and um, started making cheese in 2013. And then from 2013 to 2020, everything changed almost overnight for you when we went into lockdown in March. Yes, well, I had just signed a lease on a new premises um, and moved into those new premises on the 1st of February, all ready to gear up and um, sort of increase production and go full on and sell our cheese nationally. And then um, within about a week of getting approval from the local authority, um, just the lockdown happened, so um, sort of 90% of my business was gone overnight, basically. So in a bit of a precarious position, really. So, yeah, it was um, been a tough year. So you started up a crowdfunding campaign. How's that been going for you, and how, how did you get started with that? Yeah, it's been, um, it's been really, really good. The first week was amazing. Um, we shared, we did a little promotion on Twitter and it just went crazy. So um, I think we got about £6,000 in one day. That was the first day it was live. Um, just basically from a little bit of um, promotion on Twitter from some local celebrities. So um, it went really well. Slowed down a little bit, but that's the way they work. You know, you, you start really well and then you have a little bit of a lull. So we're just trying to drum up a little bit of publicity for it now. But we're on track, I think, to um, to get the target amount. So, yeah, it's going well. And how much are you looking to raise? Well, we're looking for £40,000. Um, and that will see us through next year um, and we'll be able to continue to make cheese basically because obviously it's quite an expensive thing to do because you don't get your money back for four or five months because you're making cheese and then you're maturing it so you don't get your investment back for five, four or five months like I say so it's quite an expensive process making cheese And for the people that would like to support you what do they need to do, where, where do they need to go? Well, if they Google Save Northampton Cheer Cheese, um, it will take you straight to our crowdfunder page or have a look on Twitter. We're at Cobbler's Nibble. 
um, and at Cobblers Nibble on Instagram as well. You'll find all the information on there. And even if you can't sort of donate or you don't fancy buying a cheese box from us or any of the other promotional items that are on offer, if you just retweet with, uh, or, and share our sort of crowdfunding link with all your friends and family, that, that would be helpful too. So any help is appreciated. Just tell me a little bit about the cheese itself. Obviously, we can't taste it over the podcast, but uh, can you paint us a picture uh, of the cheese? No, so we make uh, we make three or four different cheeses. So our main cheese is Cobbler's Nibble. Um, that is like a, a bit like a creamy Lancashire, so sort of Cheshire, Wednesday, that sort of a regional British cheese. Um, it's aged for four months, so very creamy with a nice acidic finish to it. Um, quite a crumbly texture. Um, and then we make Northamptonshire Blue, which is a sort of medium-strength blue cheese, semi-soft, very, very creamy, beautiful blue flavour, a lot more subtle than your average English blue cheese, so not as quite as strong as a Stilton. Um, and then we make Little Bertie, which is like a little soft camembert cheese, but it has a blue rind with it. So beautiful, beautiful cheese again, very, all very creamy and very distinctive. Sounds lovely. Um, presuming that you reach the target and take yourself through to next year, what's next for the business and what are your plans? Well, our plan is to, to basically pick up where we started before the lockdown so that we, um, we, we go national, basically. So um, we were in talks with a few wholesalers before the lockdown, but they're not taking on new cheesemakers and they're not taking on new listings. So um, it's obviously everybody's consolidating their business and just trying to keep it to a minimum. Um, so basically, we are going to expand, hopefully, if we meet our targets and just um, you'll be able to buy our cheese all over the country rather than just locally. Brilliant. And why do you think it's important for people to support businesses like yours? Well, because we sort of, um, we buy our milk from a local farm. Um, We support local businesses. We do a lot in the local community. So uh, it's important that it's local because the majority of the money spent in a local business stays local. So if you buy my cheese, I'll buy stuff from other shops around here and things like that. And then um, hopefully we'll get to the stage where we'll be able to employ employ a few local people. Um, So, yeah, and um, it's better quality. You know where it's come from. There's no massive food chain involved in it. And we've heard a lot that during lockdown, people have got a new appreciation for local food. Do you think that's the, the case? Definitely. During the lockdown, because um, my wife runs a small deli as well, um, it, the, the customer base just shot through the roof. Um, but they've not really stayed with us. But they, you know, We've kept about 20% of the people that came through. So you, some people will always shop local and some people just, they, I don't know, it's probably convenient not to, you know, we'll just order from the supermarket. It's a lot easier, but the quality is not there, to be honest. At the other end of the scale, independent butchers have been one of the winners from 2020. People have been looking to support local produce as well as avoid the busy supermarkets. I've been speaking with Clive Swan, a farmer in North East Wales. He runs a farm shop in the village of Trident and he told me about the success that they have seen in 2020. We're family farmers, we're third or fourth generation. My dad came, bought the place, he came up from Chester and uh, unfortunately my father died at the age of 40 with liver cancer. Them days cancer wasn't so curable in 79. It was a case of goodbye. I think he had 12 weeks from diagnosis. I was 17 at the time. 
and uh, we were chucked in at the deep end to farm with, in partnership with my brother and my mother. And then as time went on, we both got married and uh, had our own families. Mother decided uh, it was time she stepped off and let us get on with it. And then we were hit with BSE, uh, foot and mouth, various crises as uh, we'd invested a lot of time, a lot of sweat and a lot of money in producing what we were told to produce predominantly by governments in Europe as this is what the food basket required. So we took the bold decision of uh, opening a farm shop. We knew we had good, good gear and we just wanted to retail our own direct to the public and basically cut out the chain and cut out the need to supply what we were told to produce. So we looked at uh, premises in the village and uh, that wasn't a going concern. We looked at opening the market stall and going round markets, which didn't over-excite us. So then one day when we turned in the end of the drive, we just stared at a three-acre field right on the edge of the road, bottom of the farm drive, and we said, right, we will build a shop in that field. So we got the county councillor down and we, um, we run it past him what we wanted to do. So uh, we said we've got a greenfield site. You tell us uh, for regulation purposes how you want how you want us to build it, and we will build it to suit you. So uh, we looked at the guidelines and we built the shop ourselves. I still remember my six-year-old son with a trowel putting the mortar on the blocks, built it, opened it. 17 years ago from now and it just steadily grew and grew and grew and then it peaked and it dipped uh, when we when we went for the when we hit the recession now with corona coming along in the spring of this year it is just exploded now and we're roughly two and a half times where we would expect to be all all this year and it has got very busy and just take me through, you've mentioned there with the coronavirus happening, if, if we go back to, to March this year when we first went into lockdown, just take me through what happened to, to your business at that time. It just got manically busy. We didn't uh, close at all. We classed ourselves as essential. We were a food, predominantly a food shop. That is what we do. And uh, it's our own beef, our own pork off a farm. Lambs come from just across the village. Chicken comes in locally. All the pies and cakes are made on site. So we were, we were what people wanted. So uh, we rapidly noticed the queue was going out the door and across the car park. So we had to up our game on procurement. And we had to take a few uh, new faces on staff-wise. And reasonably... The three of us, my son, my wife and myself, have been in here from March, basically from bed to bed. We open Wednesday lunchtime to Saturday night. We farm Sunday, Monday, well, part of Tuesday. Part of Tuesday is getting pie meat lined up, ready for Wednesday morning. And it has just taken over. We've been nowhere. No holidays, not even Rowell's or Winter Fair. And we're just in here now because we are a service to the local people. And they've been very good to us on the till. 
So we owe it to them to make sure that whatever they want is here. We've spent a lot of time on social distancing, sanitising and keeping it spot on. We'd rather hold people outside than overfill the shop. And on busy days, uh, my wife will stand at the door and meet people and say, can you just stay outside until there's a slot for you in the shop? So people that are in the shop, it's very comfortable for them and they're happy to be in the shop. Excellent. And what kind of feedback have you had from your customers? Why do they want to come to you rather than going to to the local supermarket? Uh, The feedback is generally they will not go at the moment into a crowded shop. They don't want to know. There's a lot of supermarkets in our area, but uh, they are scared. A lot of them are slightly seniors. And uh, if we can supply the entire food basket, we have increased our range considerably over the summer. So we can basically supply them all they need to eat. And they do not want to stand outside a crowded supermarket or go inside uh, you know, the big supermarkets. They don't want to know. We're doing home deliveries for pensioners in the village, which is going down very well. We do a route usually on a Saturday afternoon and drop them and try shopping off. But it's the fact that we've got a lot of fresh air, a lot of space, and uh, they're very grateful of what we do. And they have become very loyal customers as reflected in the order book for, for the onslaught of Christmas, which is just round the corner. Yeah, so how's this Christmas comparing to, to previous Christmases? It's way ahead up to now. We're still clocking orders down and the turkey orders and the meat orders. We are ahead now. And also what is interesting is the last month, we're selling quite a lot that people are putting to the freezers because there's that many conflicting ideas coming out of the many governments and councils at, at the moment. They haven't a clue what sort of lockdown we'll be facing next week. So they're putting it away now just in case. So our Christmas rush, as we're now in like week four of what we usually have, which is like the 10 days running up to Christmas. Looking forward, I suppose, past um, coronavirus, which hopefully there's a bit of a, a light at, at the end of the tunnel at the moment, but looking forward, how, how are you looking to build on your success over 2020, going into 2021? Looking forward is just staring a lot of people in the face. We are very optimistic of the future. Uh, This march now for local produce and supporting smaller producers is massive. And as this is a Farmer's Guardian article, I urge a lot of farmers to, uh, I'm not saying wake up and smell the coffee, but that sort. Uh, A lot of our success is based on the massive slowing down of imported produce into this country because the catering sector... The pubs and clubs have been closed down over the summer, so uh, people want British produce. And we are um, coming into Brexit as well now. I wouldn't worry about a no-deal Brexit because the British people want British produce. 
and apparently statistically as a nation we're only 63% self-sufficient we'll look at the opportunities there for new entrances into this industry there's a basically a 40% gap there to fill if we can restrict imports into this country we need to be farming 24-7 and I can see our farm is going to be revved up considerably there'll be a, a building or two going up the stock numbers will be going up because there is a lot of mouths to feed and looking you know to, to your shop i suppose what what does you know whether you can tell me what what do you offer you know to your, your customers what what do they value in you outside of the covid uh, crisis and the social distancing what what can you get from a butcher's shop that you can't get you know from a from a supermarket or for, from the alternatives <laughs> relatively easy really proper meat off farm proper you know butcher's counter meat which is either off off because our own meat comes off our own farm and uh transport wise it's a total of eight eight miles to the local slaughterhouse they're quietly loaded into trailers they're taken down to the slaughterhouse and then they come back here a few days later there's no stress it makes such a difference on on carcasses if everything's kept calm the eating quality of our meat is just so superior to supermarket meat it's not been to devon and back it's not sat in distribution it's not packed in little plastic packets it's sat open in the fresh air in the counter chilled and it makes such a difference pork and lamb exactly as we treat exactly the same and our customers are so grateful of the quality of the meat and i don't think you know independent butchers shops you can't touch it with mass production at all you can't you can't get close to it like that's our biggest asset is the quality of our produce and you're obviously in wales clive how important is that welsh branding for you the massive value in that uh you know in wales itself of local produce across great britain as welsh we're always seen as the wet side of the country so grass grows very well anything grass fed is superior anyway and then as a brand if you are looking to export uh people on the continent of it they love the welsh brand more than they love the english or the gb brand we're hopefully especially in lamb we're market leaders because this welsh the rolling mountains, the rain, the grass, and the rugby—it's—it's it's well, it's Wales, isn't it? The Welsh dragon—it's a brand itself, and it needs to be capitalised a lot more than what it is like. Huge thanks there to Dan, Gary, and Clive. Now, the auction marts have faced a lot of change this year to make themselves COVID secure. Hannah Bin spoke to Tom Greenow, market manager at Gisborne Auction Marts, about their year and how they've adapted in the face of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, good morning, I'm Tom Greeno. I'm the manager at Gisborne Auction Marts in Lancashire. Uh, I've been here since November 2019, so just over 12 months now. Uh, it's been an interesting 12 months, which uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about shortly. So Tom, how's the year gone for Gisborne? 
Uh, it's been a. It was always going to be a challenging year for Gisborne, particularly with a complete restructure of the business. Um, brought myself into manage. Uh, we've taken all of our auctioneers, clericals, staff, and secretaries back in hand. Um, so quite a big change to the way we run the business. So it was always going to be a challenge. Um, transition went quite smoothly until March, and then obviously COVID just put the brakes on us a bit. Um, certainly a big issue with the fact that we couldn't sell breeding stock for a number of weeks. Um, dairy is a particular feature of Gisborne. We're, we're probably the largest weekly auction uh, for dairy in the north, uh, and to not be able to sell them for four weeks was difficult. Um, and we just had to rejig how we did things, as every market did. And what were some of those things that you rejigged? Uh, so we swapped our sale days about a bit. Um, initially, we were breeding sheep and dairy cattle. We did. We had to do farm-to-farm sales. We couldn't sell them through the market. I think it was a period of three weeks to a month. Uh, so we did a lot of direct sales. Worked reasonably well. Uh, we were very fortunate that trade was good. You know, everybody wanted them, so we were finding a lot of the time um, we'd put... You know, we might put them on our website and within an hour they'd be sold and we actually couldn't keep uploading them on the website quick enough particularly breeding sheep and as I say certain you know the better end of the dairy heifers we couldn't get them advertised quick enough they were sold before we could even promote them um, so it was a bit testing when we did that obviously not having customers in has been you know horrible for everybody really it's not been nice for the market it's not what a market's about it's definitely not what Gisborne's about. And what are some of the other changes that the marks have to make? Uh, so obviously we follow the LAA's guidance, that's our governing body. Uh, they're talking with DEFRA, I think it's probably two or three times a week Chris Dodds uh, speaks to them. Uh, so they just release regular guidance as any industry would. Um, face masks are obviously now compulsory. Uh, social distancing all the way through uh, was compulsory, still is. Um, it's, it's been a bit confusing the advice. Um, you know, it was two metres, then it's one metres plus, and then it's two metres again. And it's been difficult to adapt to for, for markets, and it'll be the same in every market. But also the farmers, you know, a lot of them, it's their only day out, really. You know, it is their social life. They come in and, and it's just just gone. And then when they are allowed back in, it's it's not the same as it ever was. And in all honesty, who can see at what point that's going to change? Um, so we now have, you know, we have two metre mark areas marked out in all our rings masks are compulsory we've you know we've had to employ security to to manage it um really so that people take note you know they take note of security whereas we don't um and how farmers reacted to this generally pretty well um it's so alien that's the trouble you know when it came in that you're not allowed to stand within two meters you're not allowed in your market you've got to wear a mask it's so alien to the way that particularly farming is Um, and particularly livestock markets that it was a struggle for them just to to do it you know they just didn't want to do it it didn't feel right doing it and it still doesn't but I think we are getting a bit more used now to we have to wear a mask everywhere so you do get more used to it and I think they're they're getting better as time goes on Mm -hmm. personally I just hope it doesn't go on for too long you know it's 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 going to be a long winter you know Mm -hmm. we we want to we're, we're part of the social social life for these farmers you know they're not getting it through the winter, mm-hmm. stuck at home. It's it's not good for them. Yeah, and I also know that field nurse weren't able to, to come on some of the days that they usually would have been able to. Um, do you think that will have had an impact on farmers? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, field nurse are so important. Um, you know, they obviously follow their, their own guidance. Um, but at every chance that we can, we've had them here because 
farmers need someone to talk to. Some will come and talk to us, you know, they'll talk to the auctioneers, they know them well enough. You know, I've been here 12 months, one or two are starting to talk to me, which is, you know, I'd rather they did that, you know, yeah. than, than keep it to themselves. But you can't be that field nurse, it's discreet. They can just sneak in, you know, nobody sees them go. They can talk to someone and they can get the right advice. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the, the job they're doing is brilliant. You know, there's, there's them and the RABI, the Addington Fund, etc. They're so important. And this winter, I think they're going to be more important than ever because mm. of what's happened the last sure. six, eight months. And what kind of lessons has Gisborne learnt from the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, we've, aside from the fact that, you know, we, we're not able to see the customers, you know, we're, we're having to really plan our visits out to farms. You know, we, I'm a big advocate in my auction is going out, get on farm, see people, source stock. Obviously, at the minute, that's very, very difficult. Um, but in terms of, you know, there are positives that have come out of it, definitely. The, the drop-and-go system works brilliantly. It, it's... Yeah, it's been great. It's shown a lot of people that they don't need to stop with their stock. You know, they 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 want to, and that's fine. We're not. We never. We never want to stop them. But um, we do hear a lot, particularly with our calves. It's a. You know, that's a bit of another busy section. Every section is busy, I suppose. Um, but particularly with our calves, a lot of these big dairy farmers, they just want the calves gone. They haven't got time to go drop them at market, stand, wait, watch them sold, drop and go. They realise they don't need to. They can just leave them with us. The auctioneers will work to get the price. As long as you've got that good crowd of buyers, they'll achieve the trade. And, and that's a really big thing that's come out of it for us, is farmers realising actually they don't need to need to stand here all day. Um, you hear it with lambs as well. I'm sure you'll have heard several auctioneers saying that firms taking lambs and cattle dead weight because it's quicker, they haven't got a standing market. Mm throughout the whole of this summer they weren't able to stand in market and our numbers increased you know mm. so it just shows that it, it, the market can work for the busy ones as well as those who want it as a social life as well yeah i know that we found it quite easy just to be able to drop off our lands and go back to the farm and carry on carrying on with everything else that we've got planned yeah. for the day um, you do spend a lot of time in an auction because you bump into people and you start chatting and having those conversations yeah. so it did help in terms of just getting day-to-day jobs done um how's trade been this year uh, I'm, a, I'm one of my 30 so I've, uh, I've not seen decades <laughs> of trade but it's, it's been unbelievable really in all sections um, you know it, it, the lives, it's been driven by the livestock market and the live trade which is, is great you know if, the situation in March when we told we weren't you know we couldn't sell store stock and every auction was thinking and, and every supporter of the auction was thinking God help us if they shut the markets. Mm. You know, we'll be in the hands of those deadweight firms just dictating price, dictating spec, everything that we know they do mm-hmm. to control trade. Um, live markets have just shone. You know, buyers have wanted to come and buy the stock. They're selling more. We're seeing a big resurgence in butchers, mm-hmm. um, small butchers. Every small butcher has, appears to have done well out of this, this COVID situation with supermarkets and everything being shut. And... and Traders, traders followed it. it. There isn't a section that is struggling, really. You know, it, it's it's amazing. How do you see trade looking going forward? Um, how, how does anyone see, see trade going forwards? Sunday will tell us, won't it? Uh, mm. Some some part of it. Personally, my personal view is, I, I think things will just there'll be a blip for a week or two, but very quickly this export market which you know is, is so dominant in the sheep sector i think that will very quickly sort itself out mm-hmm. um there isn't suddenly going to be millions more lambs in the world the global trade is just going to have to shift to 
you know, we might have to trade somewhere else and, and, and it will just shift about a bit. Are buyers nervous? Are you picking up on any nervous feelings? Yeah, some and some. Um, some of the, this, you know, obviously we, we, this time you're we really looking at those store land buyers with, with sheep stud that they sell in February, March, April. Some of them are fairly bullish about it. You know, they're speaking to someone yesterday. No, con- you know, not really concerned at all. He's going to chance it um, mm. and thinks if he chances it and it comes right, they'll be worth even more. Other people are just, you, you can see they're just trying to put the brakes on a bit and, and just exercise caution, just yeah, see what does happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, when trade's this good, you're tying up more money, you know, 30% more money in the same amount of stock. Mm-hmm. So the risk is just enormous now. You know, there's a lot of money tied up in some of these store lambs that, you know, would I gamble? I don't know. You know, mm. I don't know. But, you know, fair dues to to those producers. They are taking the gamble. You know, they're they're saying we're, we're British farmers. We're going to keep going, which is brilliant, I think, mm. you know. And what's in store for Gisborne next year? Uh, so we are, um, we've had, a, as I say, we've had a, a, a tremendous year, really. We're up sort of anywhere in the region of 40 to 50% in nearly every section. Um so to try and continue that growth would be incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, at that levels, I'd say it's would be absolutely unbelievable. But we, you know, we've we've transitioned in the structure of the business. We've dealt with COVID. Um, you know, there's a lot of things behind the scenes that we've been dealing with as well. Our plan is to just keep growing, keep growing. We we want to invest in improved facilities here, mm-hmm. so we can offer a better service to the farmers, a safer environment. We need more space. That's one thing. So we are going to have to to mm-hmm. build to accommodate, you know, our breeding sheep particularly. Um, and we we want to extend our offering. We've we've been purely livestock really. Uh, so we're building on our machinery sales, and we look to expand them further. We we were the first market to hold a machinery sale that wasn't online, mm-hmm. um, and that works. We have a viewing period, and then they come into the ring where they're socially distanced, and we sell it in the ring. That works well. So we're looking to build on those and we'll shift those to monthly sales and more regular. Mm-hmm. Um, and as well as that, we've now uh, we've employed a land agent, so we're offering professional services, um, valuations. He specialises actually in compensation, utility claims, mm-hmm. but um, all types of valuations and land and property sales. And we'll continue to try and develop that side as, as part of our offering to the agricultural community. Mm, it's fun to keep you busy then. It'll, it'll <laughs> keep us busy, all right. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Yeah. No, that's all right. Thanks to Hannah and Tom for that. It's such a shame that we can't get to the Christmas shows and sales this year, which have always been a particular highlight for my family. But Farmers Guardian has been there throughout, reporting on the shows and sales, both in print and online. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you as ever for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform to keep notified of all the new episodes of Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next Tuesday with a festive edition of the podcast. But from us at Farmers Guardian and the team at the CLA, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.